Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to the book of Jude. Going to continue our verse-by-verse study in the book of Jude. There's only one chapter we're going to pick up in verse 8 where we left off. And the title of our message tonight is, Which Way Are You Going? Which Way Are You Going? In our study last time, we were given three examples of apostasy that Jude gave and exhorted us to be careful as we contend for the faith or we fight for the faith. It's almost like the Holy Spirit is saying, you, you think that what you're feeling and what you're seeing and what you're experiencing today is brand new, but it's not. Let me remind you of the past. There have been apostates throughout human history, those that have walked away, those that have turned away, those that have that revelation that they never really had a real walk with their God. He reminded us to remember Israel and their rejection, their unbelief. He reminded us to remember rebellious angels. And then he also said, don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah. And as we literally live out the last days unfolding before us, the things that we believe and thought were still yet future are happening, which is going to draw out a response for us. You can jot it down. Remember, Paul gave the warning in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Listen, in verse 1 it says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. And he tells Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. And by the way, that's a mandate to every man every woman that takes the Bible into hand, but especially those men that are called to pastoral ministry, to leadership in the church. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering. Preach the word. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Who? The ones you're supposed to preach to? Convince, rebuke, exhort. There's going to come a day where they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, and do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministries. So much to unpack in that passage, but I want to zero in on this warning, or at least this description that there will be those who don't endure sound doctrine. For so long, this has been taught as an application to those outside of the church. Outside of the church. Like, of course, the world doesn't want to hear. The world doesn't want to hear the truth, doesn't want to hear Bible study. So they're going to search for teachers and religious leaders and people that will scratch their ears. But friends, this is not for those only outside of the church. It's for you as well. Listening to me, pastor, teaching the Bible, wanting to preach the word and convince and exhort and open up what the Bible has to say and apply it to your life, this is a warning to you. There are many today that are no longer enduring sound doctrine. 
I mean, they are literally on YouTube all day hunting and searching and finding people, teachers or so-called teachers that agree with them and, and fulfill the, all their thoughts and their suspicions. And, and you go, Ed, how do you know that? Because so many are sending me those links to YouTube. And I, even after I said, stop sending those links to me, they still, I still get links that usually start, the email usually starts like this. I know you asked me not to send any links, but would you please watch this 90-minute video and tell me what you think? No. I don't have time to watch the 90-minute video you found buried deeply somewhere in the YouTube vault of things that now you've confused yourself, and now you're uncertain, and now you don't know, and now you're beginning to doubt, and you're wondering now, Ed, help me, help me. This here, I'm going to give you the help. Stop watching YouTube videos and get back into the Bible and just spend that time reading the scriptures, praying to God, learning what he has to say. Learn to crucify your own desires. Learn to deny yourself and follow Jesus. It's not that I don't want to help you. Of course I do. And it's not that I don't want to help straighten out your theology. Of course I do. But I don't have time to undo the difficulties you created for yourself out of your own disobedience. I would say the first, st the first step to getting out of confusion is to repent. To repent for the pathway that you've chosen. Listen, don't misunderstand me. There's value in watching Bible studies and YouTube videos. That's not what I'm speaking to. I'm speaking to the fulfillment of looking for teachers to scratch your itching ears. You falling trapped to the reality of the simple Bible, simple Bible reading, simple Bible study is not enough for you anymore. And even the answers that you get, they don't satisfy you. So you look for another, they don't satisfy you until finally, oh, this is the one. But if he's right, then we're in trouble. You were actually in trouble the moment you walked away from the word and submitted your ear. I think there's a Bible study. I know there's a Bible study, but I think the title up on our, um, on, on our website and on our app is who has your ear? Who has your ear? That would be a very good Bible study. If you just put the word ear, I think for sure that's in the title. Uh, I think it's a study I did in the book of Romans. Uh, who has your ear? It's a very important Bible study when it comes to, very important teaching when it comes to who you give your ear to. Because who you give your ear to has you. Who you choose to listen to, who you choose to follow, who you choose to submit yourself to, they have you. And they can take you wherever they want you to go. Join me in getting back to the simplicity of our walk with the Lord. We're going to be learning that in our weekend studies through this section in Acts coming up. Sim simple, 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 simple. That's in the complicated, confusing world. The antidote to confusion is simple truth. Letting God speak to you. Jude is saying something similar, but he's taking it a little bit higher, a little bit more deep, if you will, of the difficulty of people that will take advantage of your itching ears. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, remember he started to write this note with the intention of encouraging the believers in Jerusalem. But as he was writing, the Holy Spirit took him in a new direction. And instead of writing an encouraging note, he wrote a note of exhortation and warning. And the theme of the book of Jude is apostasy. Or that word means to defect or walk away from the faith. 
Unfortunately, it's hard to see apostasy until it happens. And then it becomes pretty evident. We learn in 1 John, a whole group of people leaving, and John says the reason why they left is they were never of us. They were hanging out with us. They learned the language, bought the Bibles. They were hanging out with fellowship. But how, how do we know they were never with us? Because they left. Again, for clarification in our culture today, this isn't somebody choosing to go to another church or somebody leaving our particular church family. But those that you would look and go, they walked away from the faith. They go, oh, what happened? What's happening with them? Well, they just showed through their behavior they were never in the faith. They never had a full commitment to Jesus. They never had a true repentance of sin. They stopped at a cultural Christianity, at a convenient Christianity. Or in the book of Romans chapter 1, they lived a life where they created a God in their own image. And even the God in their own image wasn't satisfying to them. And with apostasy, even though it's hard to see until it happens, you know that it's surrounded with dishonesty, with lies, with deception, and hypocrisy. They all go together. So let's pick up in verse 8 where we left off last time as we tackle the next few verses. Likewise, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. He's describing the false teachers, and when he uses the word likewise, he's comparing them in a similar way to those examples that he just gave us. And notice they defile the flesh. They live in and for their fleshly habits. As we've defined the word flesh before, it's not your skin and bones. Biblically, flesh refers to your old sinful habit patterns. The life that you lived apart from Christ. For those of us that got saved later in life, you know, all the bad habits, all the sinful habits that we had before we were saved. For those of you that have lived in a godly home or have lived in a Christian environment, your flesh is revealed along the way as your characteristics and behaviors don't measure up to the high calling of Jesus Christ. So we have, those of us got saved later, we have flesh. Those of us that were raised in a godly home have the flesh, and it's described for us all in Galatians. Not only did it defile the flesh, but they also notice, secondly, reject authority. Reject authority. Jude is not simply wanting us to be reminded of the dangers of false teachers and teachings, but he's describing them in depth, showing us what it looks like behind the veil. They reject authority. And that's really where it starts, the rejection of authority. This isn't just merely the rejection of authority in the world. You know, there's those bumper stickers, reject, question authority, reject authority. It's not, it's not simply that. That's actually a byproduct of their rejection of divine authority. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Just that phrase, anyone that holds to the philosophy and the theory of humanistic evolution has rejected God and his authority in their lives. This is a hard one to admit. This is a hard one to come to terms with. Because you may be, you may be listening right now, but I believe in God, but do you believe in his authority in your life? Well, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, which God are you talking about? I'm talking about the God of the Bible. Well, then I don't know if I, I, I accept his authority. How do I even find his authority? I don't, I don't need you to tell me that you actually don't. When you reject, when you accept God and his authority, his authority is his word in your life. Not a pastor, not a church. My authority in your life is simply to point you to the Lord and you submit to his authority. 
That, that's the best and only place that you and I can find. Now, you may demonstrate a lack of authority by being unsubmissive to people that put authority over you, but when you reject God's authority, you're rejecting divine authority. All of us, whether we admit it or not, are under the authority of God's word. God's word is direct. God's word is prescriptive. God's word is corrective. God's word is authoritative. So hold your places here. Anything from Jude except for Revelation is going to be to the left. So go over with me in your own Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is an important fundamental scripture on the authority of God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 3. When you get there, notice with me verse 14. Again, Paul is writing to this young man who is in leadership in the church, Timothy, and he writes in verse 14 of 2 Timothy 3. But as for you, continue in the things of which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. These, this word, the Bible, for us translated into English from the original language, is the authoritative document in your life. It is the authoritative document in your life. How do we know the character and nature of God? How do we know his heart on, on matters? We know it from his word. God has given us pastors and teachers to help us understand it, but you also have the Holy Spirit. So you're reading the Bible at home, and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. That's for you. You're the one with itching ears. And you might go back and go, oh, I remember Pastor Ed said that, but I didn't really pay attention to him. And, and that the Holy Spirit's saying, no, you're the one. You're the itching ears one. And then you're, now you have a decision. Well, I submit myself to the authority of God's word. You just got mad at somebody. The Holy Spirit says, you know, be angry and not sin. You're just reading through the Bible. Be angry and not sin. Then the Holy Spirit says, remember when you were angry with so-and-so? Go make it right. Will you be under the authority? It's, it's simple. As you're reading the scriptures, God will speak to you. I'm not saying that there aren't difficult sections in the Bible, hard things to understand. Of course there are. Uh, Peter, we learned that. Remember Peter? He was referring to Paul, and he goes, man, some of the things Paul wrote were hard to understand. So, you know, the things that are hard to understand, separate them, set them aside. They could be further study, and pay attention to the things that are easy to understand. God's word is authoritative. It is inspired. It is profitable. It will mature you. You will be thoroughly equipped for what? Every good work. God is ready. Notice, come back in Jude now, they reject authority, and he refers to them in verse 8, these dreamers, these dreamers. It's unfortunate, you don't listen to our current culture today that uses that word in some negative political way. He, he's speaking about a group of people that are living in an unreal world. They're dreamers. They're controlled by their feelings, experiences, even if it's not in the word. You could say that these, are, these false teachers were living in a dream world filled with falsehoods of their own making, lacking a real foundational reality, which is what happens when you reject authority, which is what happens when you live a life of dirtying your life by the flesh. You, you are, they are dreamers. 
Not only that, notice it says in verse 8 that they speak evil of dignitaries. Dignitaries, this speaks of the spiritual realm. Uh, there's a lot of debate on who the dignitaries are, the glorious ones. It's translated in some uh, translations. Uh, it could be the angelic realm. But, but be, whoever the dignitaries are, let, let's speak to the speaking evil. Speaking evil is a place of pride. Speaking evil of others is a place of pride. The place of pride, is, it starts with this. I am better than them, and I want you to know that. Now, of course, think about the last time you spoke evil. You didn't lead with that. But, the, but, but to put someone down is at the same time elevating someone. When you put someone down, you speak evil. Not just speak bad, but speak evil. You're putting someone down, and as you're speaking, you're raising yourself up. And the arrogance and the pride that comes when we compare ourselves with one another and we live in such a way where we look down on people. And here they are speaking evil of the divine realm, or even you could say divine authority within the context. Yet notice verse 9, Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring in against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these evil ones, these speak evil of whatever they do not know. Whatever they know naturally, like brute beast, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, verse 11, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. More comparisons we'll get to in a moment. But in the realm of the spirit, you have this battle. This is an interesting verse, isn't it? Verse 9. Whatever, we don't have any record of this. Uh, let me show you at least uh, a hint of where this might take place. Would you turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 34 with me? Deuteronomy chapter 34. There's this battle over the body of Moses. And you wonder, why would there be a fight over the body of Moses? Well, the same reason that why people today uh, are looking for, the, or at least say that they have pieces of the cross, you know, if somebody shows up with a relic and say, this is an authentic piece of the cross, that piece of wood is going to get more attention than the Savior that hung on it. And so the body of Moses being something that could be looked upon and revered and honored, Moses was highly respected uh, within Judaism uh, among the Jewish people today. Um, hey, you know, the body of Moses could be very valuable. So there's some kind of fight for it. It's not recorded for us in Scripture, but notice in verse 5, of Deuteronomy 34, it says, so, the Moses, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Beor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Uh, you know, Michael the archangel um, and the devil knew. <laughs> in spiritual realm, they knew where it was. And there's a fight now coming back into Jude. There's a fight over it. What's important, I believe, in seeing this fight is how Michael the archangel uses it in dealing with the devil head on. And I think it has great application for us today, especially with what you see on so-called Christian television today, where you've got people walk, running around screaming at the devil. And the Lord rebuke, I rebuke you, devil. And they're just like, 
you know, I bind you and I swing you around and throw you out the window and, and, and they get, you know, red in the face and looking right in the camera and they're just binding the devil all the time and yelling at him and screaming at him, which I believe is a position that's not given to us. Not even Michael the archangel in the role that he had rebuked the devil head on. He says, the Lord take care of you. The best place you have in the world today is to be in Christ, in Christ to allow him to fight your battles, to, to stand behind him, to assert his presence who's, who lives in you and around you in the situation that you're in. And I've always wondered on a very practical, if these guys on TV were really binding the devil, why is he still running around? It sounds like that should be done one time and just have, it's done. Why? Because it's unbiblical. It's manipulative. You have this, these false teachers, and I believe in a general sense, although Jude's talking about a particular group in the first century, I think as we pull back here today, the, the false teachers have a, have a rejection. They li- they're fleshly men and women. They, they reject the truth. They defile themselves and others in the flesh. They certainly reject authority. We've seen that through this church many, many, many times. When someone is confronted with what we see or hear, their response is very telling. Will they listen? Will they explain? Do we have it wrong? Or will they get mad, angry, fight? You don't know. Who are you? Who are you to say that? You know, I'm just, I'm the God-given authority of this church. That's who I am. In one sense, I'm really nobody. But in another sense, I've been given charge to watch over this flock. That's who I am. And you don't have access or permission to hurt this church. And that may just be a prophetic word to someone checking it out. It's like, well, you know, we, we like to go to larger churches and take advantage of people. And, well, you know, we, we, don't, we pray against you. And we pray that God reveals to you, reveals you to us, I should say. But also, that's a good thing. We pray, we should start praying God reveals you to you. So you can repent. It's so much better to walk in the Spirit and enjoy the relationship with the Lord. It's so much better to live in the truth. But you can see when you reject authority, you start speaking evil. Then you start thinking, you know, like Michael the archangel didn't even take the devil straight on when they were fighting over. But when there was an accusation, they just hid in the Lord. But by contrast, these false teachers, when they're brought about, when things are brought to them, when questions are brought, they speak evil, whatever they don't know. That's all they know how to do is speak evil. That's all they know how to act is living in evil. And whatever they know, he says, they're like brute beasts. I mean, that's a pretty heavy, they're like untamed beasts. They live on the plane of the animal kingdom. They're not even living like humans. They're not even behaving like humans. They're only living by their own appetites. And in this, it says at the end, they corrupt themselves. And notice how he ends it in verse 11. Woe to them. And being Jesus' half-brother, I wonder how many times he heard Jesus say that himself. You can read for yourself in Matthew 25. The whole chapter is filled with woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Jesus, this is the heart of Jude here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is the same heart that Jesus has. It is not a good thing to be a false teacher. It's not a good thing to be an apostate. You're not in a great position. And he ends this, woe to you. 
And, and notice he attaches this group of false teachers to three evil, rebellious people. Number one, he says, they went in the way of Cain. You notice that in verse 11. They have gone in the way of Cain. Would you turn over to Genesis chapter four and verse three with me? Genesis chapter four. The way of Cain. If you're taking notes, the way of Cain is the religion of self. The religion of self. And you see in verse four of Genesis, or excuse me, verse three of Genesis four, in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel brought of the first things of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin, if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you but you should rule over it. But Cain talked to Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field, Cain rose against Abel, his brother, and killed him. The way of Cain is selfish murder. He brought to God of his own doing, his own works. He tried to worship God on his own terms and in his own way. And even God shared with him, if you did what was right, if you did it the right way, there's blessing in the right way. Do it the right way. I mean, that's, that, like, for you listening, I want you, whatever it is you're into right now, you're, you, you have a relationship on your heart, you have a desire, you're going for a job interview, just do it the right way. You have conflict with another brother or sister, do it the right way to resolve it. Don't go the way of, you know, I'm going to do, I, I know what mom said, I know what dad said, I know what the church said, I'm going to do it my own way. You're going to go the way of Cain. It's not a good way to go. It makes you angry and frustrated with everyone. It gives you this sense of wanting to prove yourself. Everybody's wrong but you. Isolating you. Causing you to be in a position of very vulnerability and even in a position to unbridled anger. And unbridled anger always leads to murder. And we learn from Jesus, unlike Cain here, Cain physically murdered, we learn from Jesus that murder happens in our hearts all the time. And when murder happens in your heart, you begin to speak evil of those that you have murdered and destroyed. The way of Cain is the religion of self. He had no real care or concern for God, but only himself. And he wanted worship, but he wanted it his way. And that's the way of Cain, these false teachers. Secondly, notice that these false teachers are compared now to have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. Again, you can jot it down, we won't go there, but all throughout Numbers chapter 24, we learn of Balaam. This would be the religion of greed or enriching yourself. So you have the religion of self. So you can see false teaching, 
False teachers think about themselves more than they think of you. The exact opposite of the good shepherd, the exact opposite of the shepherd in Psalm 23, the exact opposite of Mark 10, 45, where Jesus says he came to serve and not be served, to give his life a ransom for many. It's the exact opposite of Corinthians, where we learn that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. The false teacher is completely in the opposite direction whether it's just simply wanting to prove their point and make you feel like you don't know anything or completely take advantage of you and lead you astray, like Balaam. Balaam was a prophet for profit. He took the gift of God and used it in a way to enrich himself. And he wouldn't curse the people of God, but remember, he did teach Balak how to make them sin by in mixing them with the women and bringing the judgment of God upon themselves. So he wouldn't curse them, no, no, I'll be very righteous and very holy, but let me tell you how you can destroy them. Introduce the women to them, and they'll go after, bring the women in, they'll commit sexual sin, and then the judgment of God will get them. And thank you for your money. And, and Balaam is the one, too, that had a little conversation with his donkey, remember? It's like, you can imagine that. That's like, man, God wanted him, he, God had him, wanted him to stop, and he resisted all along the way. And then finally, notice, they're described in their behavior, selfishness, greediness, and then notice they're compared at the end of verse 11, they perished in the rebellion of Korah. Numbers chapter 16 by reference. And this is the false religion of control, or again, rebellion. Rebellion is declaration of self, of a lack of self-control. You reject, and it all fits, doesn't it? it re, you reject authority, you assume that authority upon yourself. No matter the cost, no matter who gets hurt, no matter what happens, you assume that authority upon yourself. Korah rebelled against God's authority by rebelling against the leadership of Moses and Aaron. The sons of Korah wanted to have control over the people, but not in any way serve them or connect, connect them to God. And that's where Jude is, even in the first century. But that's where we are. We're living in interesting times. We're living in interesting times like I've never seen before. Challenging times as we as pastors are talking about different things and different ways of ministry that we've never had to really think through before. Different ways of applying the word. So much coming our way trying to influence our thinking. We're overwhelmed with information. And in a weak moment, we do have itching ears. There isn't one person in this room that doesn't have itching ears. There isn't one person that it, maybe you go through under a, the weight of conviction that says, I want to get out from a conviction. I want to stop hearing about it. And you're listening and looking for someone that says, oh, oh, I, I think that sounds better. That sounds better. That appeases my conscience. That, that helps me to get through the day. But it really never solves the root issue. And you Bible students, you know the root issue. The root issue in my life and the root issue in your life is sin. And then you add selfishness to it, rejecting authority. We all go south that, that way. Every pastor that stood in a pulpit that, have, that has rejected and rebelled against God, committed adultery on their wife, stole money from the church, followed the same pattern. Selfishness, greed, rebellion, rejecting authority, taking that authority upon themselves. Every person that's ever apostatized, left, no longer following God, 
no longer caring about God. Even now, you know, there are those that I know that now identify themselves as atheists or live alternative lifestyles or on and on the list goes. They're following the same path. Except at the same time, they call it love. They call it care. It's like, no, this is what's best for me. You know, I'm going to do what's best for me. You do what's best for you. Actually, don't take any, don't either, don't take that, either one of that advice. Don't do what's best for you. I'm not going to do what's best for me. I'm going to choose to follow God. He will tell me. I don't always know what's best for me. And you don't always know what's best for you. For example, if I gave you a, if we did an, uh, a little illustration as you walked in the door and I had somebody at the door hand you a piece of paper and it had seven boxes on it, seven boxes. And the, in those seven boxes, here's the assignment. And I'd give you a couple minutes and i say, I want you to fill out the best week of your life. What would be the best week of your life? It's going to start next Monday. So go ahead, write in the box. What do you think the best Monday would be? What do you think the best Tuesday would be? What do you think the best Wednesday all the way through till Sunday? What's the best week of your life? It, wouldn't it be really, really hard for you? Wouldn't it be very, very difficult for you that if in just one of those boxes you had to write, good day, good day, good day, good day, good day, and then one of those boxes, the worst day of my life? That would be very difficult to write, the worst day of my life. Because in our minds, we don't think of the best week of our lives, including the worst day of our lives. But could it? Could the best week of your life include the worst day of your life? Well, according to the Bible, according to the teachings of our Savior, even if all seven days were the worst days of your life, God works all things together for the good. For those that love him, those that are called according to, to his purpose. I, I can go example after example. You know, Joseph, when he's thrown into a ditch, sold by his own brothers. Who would want to experience that? Who would want to experience that? Nobody. I, I wouldn't. But that one event, that one day, started a path in his life that he wouldn't know until it happened. That one day, those decisions, those free will, sinful decisions of his brothers started a path that would elevate him to the second in control of the world. And that was his best week. Because it started him, you could say it was his best week, because it started him on a path to fulfill God's high call for his life. And the very brothers that sold him would be the very brothers he forgives right to their face. He says, I don't have anything against you, man. What you guys meant for evil, God meant for good. Genesis 50, 20, the Old Testament version of Romans 8, 28. So good. You see, we don't always know what's best for our lives. We don't always know how God is going to turn something out or turning it around. We don't always know how it fits in the broader narrative of God using our lives. God wanting to put our lives on display. God wanting to put us in a position or allow us to be put in a position that he will redeem 20 years down the road. We don't like waiting 20 minutes. Who would want to wait for 20 years to see how something, but even then, if we never see 20 years, 40 years down the road, how God is going to use that event, 
It will come to pass when you are in the presence of the Lord, where the Bible says in 1 John, you will know even as you're known, you'll say, ah, that's it. But if you wrote the seven days, I really, you know, maybe, maybe one or two of you perhaps might say, stub my toe on Wednesday, had a fight with my friend or something, just so you know, you didn't know, you know, I better put something in there. It can't all be good. But see, the best days of our lives and the best weeks of our lives and the best months of our lives and the best years of our lives are in the hands of the Lord. There's no other way around it. We trust the Lord. The antidote to apostasy is rest, abiding in Christ, trusting him with our lives, taking the good and the bad, embracing it, trusting him with our lives. We have all these voices wanting to explain to us what's happening when God is ready to help you understand. We have so much confidence in man. That confidence belongs only in God. I was talking to one of the sisters today where there are just times where calls will come in to the church here and they'll say something like, you've got to meet with Ed right away. I've got to talk to Ed right away. He's the only one that can help me. And the first ministry that person needs is to find out very quickly that Ed is not the only one that can help him. And there's a 50-50 chance that Ed can help him at all. If that. One of the first things that needs to be shared with that person is get their eyes back on the Lord. Because now they set themselves up for a disappointment. If they don't end up talking to me, then they think they're not being helped. But every brother and sister that is a true believer in Christ has the same Holy Spirit that I do has the same access to the discerning of spirits, has the same access to the wisdom of God, has the same access to the knowledge of God, has the same Bible. God can use you in many ways much greater than me. But you get in your mind, no, it's got to be man, it's got to be man, it's never man, it's always God. You know, you walk away and reject the faith because you put your hope so much in man or women and when they let you down, you think, oh, you know, now I'm the church. I hate the church, and I, I hate that church, and now I hate God. No, God never let you down. You took your eyes away from him. You started listening. And, you know, you might follow a false teacher for a while, and then you feel this whole condemnation. We've had people come here before where, you know, they've given thousands upon thousands of dollars to a false teacher, and then they come in, and they feel so bad, and they regret it so much. And, and yeah, you know what? It was a bad season in your life. But I know this. You gave us unto the Lord. And so just trust the Lord with it all. There's nothing you can do to undo it. They're not going to give it back. It's probably already spent. So just trust the Lord. You were sincere and genuine. And you just got to take, say, okay, Lord. I was, and you go, I lost so many years. Yeah, but you learned some valuable lessons now that you'll never go back. Because nothing's wasted by God. And Jude is super serious here. Very applicable. When Paul tells Timothy, man, there's going to be people that don't endure sound doctrine. We make, pastors, we make jokes all the time about, you know, sitting through long Bible studies and extra cushion on the chairs. That's not what he's saying. He, he is saying that you need to watch out for your lack of desire for the word of God, especially good teaching. Not some particular pastor. Not enduring Ed's long sermons or whoever your pastor might be. This is true sound doctrine. The kind of doctrine that guides your life when you're not around Ed. <laughs> the kind of doctrine that helps you be a mom at home. The kind of doctrine that keeps you above reproach in our culture. 
The kind of doctrine that says, and when we get into those seasons where, man, repent, repent, repent. You're, I don't want to repent. It's not my fault. It's their fault. No, it's actually your fault. Yeah, but you don't know what they did to me. It's not about what they did to you. It's about how you responded to what they did to you. You can't control their behavior, but you can control yours. It's not about them. You're going to waste your life worried about them, worried about her, worried about him. And you're going to find yourself truly lacking intimacy and closeness with the Lord. And it's not their fault. It's your fault. It's my fault when I choose to allow the root of bitterness to go deep into my heart. It's my fault. That's my problem. And everyone that's close to me because I defile everyone around me when I walk in bitterness. You want to know how to walk out the door of a church and apostatize from the faith? You lack the intimacy that comes with trusting the Lord with your life. And you start to listen to all these people that all have an opinion. And, and how do they even have your ear as you're going from person to person, telling your story, telling your story, telling your story, telling your story. Everybody knows your story, but it's a different version every time. Because it just keeps getting worse. And more, the more you tell it, the worse it gets. And the Holy Spirit wants you to submit your life to him tonight. We are not weak and we are not helpless in the spiritual battle for our lives. The battle for our minds, the battle for our allegiance, the battle for our purity, the gifts and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, for the casting down of arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Able to bring every thought into captivity to obedience of Christ, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You want to know why this is not followed more often? Because it is tiring taking every thought captive. It's like we might take one or two thoughts captive and think, call it a day. But what about when your mind is attacked moment by moment by moment by moment by moment by moment by moment? I mean, it never ends. You just get weary and tired and you stop fighting the battle. You're not even running to the Lord anymore. Hiding in him. Refuge. That's what the word refuge means. It means to be, to be in a place of peace. It means the idea of being fortressed and protected. All go together with refuge. A place of rest and trust that God will take care of it. The weapons of our warfare are not human. They're spiritual. It's not our own methodology. It's not our own ideas. It's not even us winning the battle. It's our surrender to the Lord. When we attempt to do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do, we will always fail. And it will be painful. And so Jude here, he's not pulling any punches. These are some pretty, woe to you. You're like Cain. You're a murderer, selfish murderer. Woe to you. You're these false teachers, they're running in the greed of Balaam. They want to take advantage of you financially. Woe to you, you perished in the rebellion of Korah. And those of you that know and read it for yourself, you know, the ground opened up and swallowed them. That's the reward for rebellion. It's like, I haven't seen that happen yet. That's only because God is gracious and he died for the sins of your rebellion and mine. He's ready to forgive. He's ready to draw you near. So Father, we want to take the right path. Which way are we going? We want to go in the way of the Lord. Not the way of Cain, not the way of, of Korah, 
not the way of Balaam. Which way are we going? We want to go in the way of the Lord. And so I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak, not just my words, but would bring some of this home to the hearts of those listening. And that you, God, would comfort us and protect us and help us when our ears get all itchy. We want to hear this. We want to hear that. We want to hear what's this going on and what does this Bible teacher say and this guy over here and you know all of the pressing in to get our attention and our mind. We want to take every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and give us the stamina and strength to do that and not grow weary in well-doing, knowing in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.